This is a Hot Pie Original. Uh, welcome to the Gray Area Podcast with me, Chad Fisher. No more, no more. Yo, yo, it's Aaron Cheatham. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Gray Area Podcast. I am your host, Chad Fisher, along with my co-host, Mr. Aaron Cheatham. Aaron, how are you doing, brother? I am fantastic. That's great, man. We got a, we got a, we're uh, really excited today, man. We got an awesome guest uh, via Zoom today. Yes, um, sir. Yes, sir. He was a regular on HBO's uh, show Crashing, which was an awesome show. Yes, sir. Yes, a great, sir. A great uh, show about stand-up comedy. And he's also is in that a, what that was about? Yeah, dude. Have you haven't seen it? Uh, no, dude. It's awesome. Yeah, there's so many like awesome cameos in that show. No, I, I haven't got anybody's login for HBO in a while. So uh, I'll, maybe I'll hook you up. We'll bet, see. We'll see bet, how the interview bet, goes. Bet. <laughs> <laughs> he's also uh, a semifinalist on um, America's Got Talent yep. on uh, Last Comic Standing as well. Um, very very funny comedian. We're honored to have him, Mr. Dan Natterman. Dan, how you doing, brother? But how do you do? Is it, is it still possible to see crashing on H? I don't even have. Uh, I mean, I watched it as recently as probably two or three months ago, I would say. Oh, I guess so it's still in the archive. Yeah, yeah. It's a great show, man. It's amazing. I didn't finish the whole series, but you, yeah. It was you like, know HBO ain't letting go of nothing. They're going to keep them <laughs> things. I mean, I was able no, to watch the newsroom. Just keep them in the archive. Yeah, yeah. man. They, they, if they can still get a penny off of it, they're going to rock it. Why HBO not? ain't letting go of nothing. No. Dan, it's good to see you, man. Good to have you on the show, brother. Good to be here. Um, before we get too deep, uh, real quick, you want to tell people, uh, you know, about about what you've been doing lately. I mean, with with everything that's been going on with the pandemic, how you've been holding up? Well, I have been doing some stand up. I was just uh, recently in Aruba, uh, the island, you know, Aruba uh, in the Caribbean, and we were doing shows there, and um, so that was nice. I've done some Zoom shows and. Uh, some in-person shows very rarely. And I, I finished my a novel that I've been working on that I started before the pandemic, but uh, finished it up during the pandemic and have been working on editing it and trying to get it into shape. That's so, awesome, uh, man. Man, so you've stayed very yeah, busy. Yeah, super busy. Well, I wouldn't say super busy. I mean, you know, all the what I just mentioned to you does not take up, <laughs> you know, did, did not take up uh, an enormous amount of time compared to the amount of time that uh you know that i've been in lockdown but, but that's a lot more than what i've been accomplishing that. mine would probably be my my credits for the pandemic would probably be uh amassing a vast collection of cheetos that's about like all you know, you know really what done. dan i haven't done that <laughs> but i have been snacking did, did you know you can get a giant thing of cheese balls on amazon for like three dollars oh yeah it's legit. like a tub so I that's like what cheetos. So. there's a there's a uh there's a restaurant or it's a restaurant slash grocery store around the corner from me that sells this French high end version of Cheetos. Oh, Jesus. Uh, called Krusty. And uh, <laughs> I'm very much addicted to those. Yeah, I can see why. A high end Cheetos? I know. That's what I want to know. What, a high end Cheetos? Does it come with like a wrapper or something? High end Cheetos. <laughs> you have to unwrap it's each individual Cheeto and shit. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's, it's, it's got actual cheese on it. That's yeah. all. Oh, <laughs> oh, there we go. That's it's probably... made with Emmentaler cheese, which I guess is sort of a fancier, oh, wow. you know, but that's, 
it's a little bit, a little bit, uh, I think, more flavorful. I gotta oh, so it's it's like a, a thoughtful way of getting diabetes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I gotta, I gotta. Well, come, you have to get it. Yeah, you might as well do you it. With might the might as well sheet. do it with class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty dope. Uh, Chad, how's your week been? It's been great, brother. Uh, I'm a new dad, uh, so dude, sleep is at a premium right now. But uh-huh. um, it's been amazing, man. I've been having a good week. Uh, brothers in town visiting from New York, and it's kind of hanging out. Work. Um, Dan, we do this segment on the show where we like to give a shout out to people. Uh, so we're going to do that real quick. And feel free to jump in if you have a shout out that you would like to give to anybody, uh, anybody that you uh, know in the industry or in life in general that you feel could use some recognition. Uh, so, Chad, you have a, uh, for your shout out, do you have a tip of the hat or you have a flip of the cup for this week? Um, I guess like a tip of the hat, man. Uh, so uh, I guess my shout out is going to be um, William Shakespeare is the first person in the UK to get the COVID vaccine. <laughs> this shit is hilarious, man. It's like, <laughs> it's like, dude, they couldn't have wrote this shit any better, you know? William uh, Shakespeare's the first one? Yeah, yeah. All the world's a stage, man. So, Oops, sorry. No, you're good. He's just jamming. Oh, I okay. thought my porn hood came on. I was like, <laughs> I was like, right now, right now, not right now. <laughs> yeah, we're in trouble. <laughs> um, uh, what about you, brother? Uh, I got a flip of the cup this week. Uh, and usually I'm the positive one when we come into doing these shout outs, but I got, I got a, I got a, a, a flip of the cup. Uh, as you know, I've been having car trouble yeah. for the past couple of weeks, took my car in yesterday to get fixed. And I'm not going to mention the name of the company because they might want to give us money, but I'm just going to say my dealer, I took my car to them and, uh, they're like, yeah, we should have this done by the end of the day. The end of the day comes, they never call me, which is terrible customer service. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Customer, you don't call? I, call, I started calling him at two like, thirty yesterday. Yeah, yeah it's out. like I guess he'll figure out if we don't call him that we're going to keep his yeah. car overnight. Yeah, yeah. Like at five o'clock, I finally get a hold of somebody in another department, and then they get me to my people yeah. to let me know. Oh, well, you might need to get a rental car. Jesus, are you kidding me? Yeah, terrible customer service. Terrible. And then yeah, to, Mister. Literally, uh, less than an hour ago, before we started the show, I, they called me and they're like, "Yeah, actually, we're going to keep your car till Monday." That's the worst. They're just like driving around in it. Yeah, basically, dogging. I'm pretty sure that my my car dealer is actually a coyote. <laughs> yeah. And he's using my vehicle to smuggle some stuff right now. Right um, so it's just yeah. annoying as hell uh, when you got to deal with mechanics. And right now they got me in a sour mood. So a flip of the cup to you, local car dealer, holding <laughs> on to my car for a whole week. That's my shout out. I'm not going to say your name, but I, you know what? The guy that I've been talking to, his name is Hunter. Hunter, you're trash. That narrows it down in Austin. Hunter, I'm sure there's only a few hunters in Austin. Hunter, you're a trash <laughs> human being. So that's my that's my shout out. That's yeah. my shout out. Dan, you have anybody you'd like to shout out? Well, I um something that just uh, just thought of actually. Uh, there's a guy, AJ Tesler, out in Los Angeles, whose daughter is suffering from a rare genetic disease called Rett syndrome, and he just made a movie about it, a documentary, which is uh, inspiring and. Uh, heartbreaking at the same time but you can go to magnoliashope.com and uh, see the movie or donate or just learn about red syndrome that's awesome you know so uh it's way yeah. better shout out than us too. yeah no that's the proper use that's how you were <laughs> supposed to use it with some, with some meaning but it's also <laughs> yeah that's know, awesome is, uh, yeah check that out is, uh, uh let's drop that website one more time what was it again brother it's magnolia like the flower magnolia's hope.com sweet that's beautiful yeah check that you out guys, guys definitely go yeah, check yeah, that please. out uh, support Dan. Uh, good His looking friend. out. That's yeah, a great yeah. shout out. That's a great shout out right there, Dan. 
Well, thank you. It's a shout out <laughs> to just because I just happened to watch this morning. I just happened to watch the documentary. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, also, something we like to do early in the show is uh, talk to the younger generation. These guys say that they're doing it for the culture, but they don't actually know the culture because I, I asked several people under the age of 25 if they had ever heard the thong song and only one out of 15 people had heard the thong song, which tells me that this younger generation, no culture, no culture at all. <laughs> so Chad and I have taken it upon ourselves. If you don't know the thong song, your culture is trash um, to, to kind of, you know, give you guys some, some, some like a, what's the thing? Uh, cliff notes. Yeah. Yeah. Cliff notes of, of some cultures, things you need to go back and check out because it was actually worth a damn. And you'd probably be a better human being. If you were up on this stuff and this week's hollaback is DMX. If you haven't, if, if you're not up on DMX, Dude. then I don't know. I don't know what rock your parents raised you under. He single handedly saved the pit bulls from like, you know, being like, they were so fashionable after. Well, DMX. yeah. I mean, everybody wanted to raise a pit bull to be in a music video. Like Dude. the next rapper might like, use my Dude, pit bull. This is, is going to be a hook at some point. Um, real talk. DMX is my spirit animal. Uh, and just to give you guys some ideas of where you can start, like, cause I asked one kid, a kid that, you know, actually, uh, if he knew who DMX was and he said, oh yeah, that's that one group that did that one song, right? Yeah. No, no. DMX Four. is not that Four. one Four. group that did that one song. DMX, Darkman X, Earl Simmons was a beast in the late nineties, early two thousands. He won the 2000 and 2001 AMA for uh favorite rapper. Uh, just to give you some songs that you guys need to go. That's a real thing. Um, uh, some songs that you might want to check out as you're going down your DMX exploration. Dan, uh, you look like a big DMX fan. I mean, he's no, from New York. I, I don't even know the one song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he lives like right around the corner from you. He's like all over New that York. That was like his pump up music before this uh, interview started. He was just like, listen, DMX yeah, um, party up. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here. Sounds up just in like here. it. I know. I, Sounds exactly like don't it. Don't make me do the DMX <laughs> voice. Uh, the Rough Riders anthem, Who We Be, Where the Hood At. Those are all good songs to start off with. If you like a little softer stuff from DMX, uh, you can get uh, How's It Going Down, where he's talking to a shawty from around the way, <laughs> trying to figure out how it's going down. Yeah. And of course, my favorite DMX song, what these bitches want. Yeah. Who doesn't? What these who bitches want. Where he blessed us with one of the greatest verses in all of rap. And I will do a DMX voice for this. Okay. It was, um, there was Brenda, <laughs> Letitia, Linda, Felicia, Don, LaShawn, Inez, and Alicia, Tessa, Monica, Sharon, Nikki, Lisa, Veronica, Karen, Vicky, Cookie. Well, I met her at an ice cream parlor. Jesus, Tanya, man. Diane, Lori, Carl. The whole verse is just him listing chicks that he smashed. That's one of the greatest verses. He remembered all 50 names. Check out DMX. <laughs> Check out DMX. And I swear to God, you'll be a better human being for knowing about DMX. And uh, you'll definitely be the hardest person in your clique if you're under 25. Just knowing who DMX is, you automatically are the most gangster person in your crew. He only fucks like girls with act, like weird... Weird ass mediocre names and shit. No, I think he only smashes chicks he can rob. Yeah, okay. there you go. That's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> you have no no experience with DMX at all, Dan. Uh, no, I vaguely heard the name. <laughs> um, I'm not really uh, knowledgeable about rap. Dan, your culture is trash. That may well be. What are you? What are you into musically? Like, like, what is your go-to? Well, I think it depends on on the day, and um, 
I like, uh, I don't know, all kinds of things. Um, what was I listening? I could just like tell you what's like, what's on my iTunes. Yeah, yeah. The sample might be the best way to do it because I, I don't know how to classify, you know. Uh, what you, so, yeah, what genre. So I'm I wanna, just going to just name yeah. some stuff. Some of the stuff is is going to be a bit corny. I got lost in love by Air <laughs> Supply here. Oh, yeah. Air Supply, okay. I know, I know. No one, Alicia Keys. Oh, there, there you, you go, go bro. There, there you go. There was a little bit. Rise Up, Andre Day. Um, you got it all. The Jets, that's like an 80s. Oh, dude. Thing. You know, I never got into the Jets. Baby, yeah. baby Blue, Bad Finger. It's like a uh, classic rock. Okay. Manic Money, the Bangles. You get the idea. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of everything, but no, well, not everything, because there's not a lot of rap. Beyonce, irreplaceable. So oh, be, to the I left. I love, I love how Dan just likes these uh, beautiful black women that are just I like. Blink One Eighty Two. Oh yeah, that was a good album, dude. I used to yeah. listen to. Wait, was that then. album actually good? I don't know, dude. I haven't listened to it since I was the like twenty-two. Secret. You know, you get the idea. Yeah. Okay, you got an eclectic uh, flow. I think I would call it eclectic. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Nice. I think so. If you if if there was a musician that you could classify as your spirit animal who would embody that uh spirit animals that doesn't necessarily mean your favorite musician right it right means a musician that's sort of your guide in life yeah um, gee i don't know i never thought of that but uh beyonce definitely no it wouldn't be beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean bruce springsteen but he's, oh yeah you know i like but then again like he's you know that's not my life he talks about blue collar Working class uh, uh, Jersey people, and that's yeah. not my background. But, but um, I suppose if there was somebody I'd like to meet in, in the most uh, musician wise, it would be him. The boss, because he because he defined my my youth. I'm from the '80s. Yeah, right? yeah. So that was when he was like born in the USA in yes. particular. Yeah, yes. Uh, he was like the biggest thing that there was. So my, the soundtrack of my adolescence was, in large part, was him. You know, I was, uh, my, like I said to you earlier, uh, my family was in the Air Force and I moved around a bunch. I lived in the Philippines uh, from the age of three to seven or eight. And on base, we were on base uh, in the 80s when Born in the USA came out. And when I tell you, that song was played everywhere. Like I knew that, I thought that was the national anthem for a while because everywhere you went on base, you just heard born in the usa <laughs> just blaring everywhere you went uh so like he definitely for me bruce springsteen didn't have a big impact on my life but that song definitely put a, had a fingerprint in that time period in my life i heard it everywhere so i'll, I'll give it to the boss for that yeah and that wasn't even like my i mean i didn't even love that particular song that was the most well-known song yeah uh, that was not the song that I liked the best of that album. And then of course he's got a bunch of other albums, obviously, you know, but yeah, he's got a, he's got a large catalog. Was, Wait, you rock with Bruce. Springsteen? I'm not, I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Me, I had a friend of mine, you know, Mikey Swenson, yeah. a friend of ours, uh comedian here in town. Uh, me and him would always like playfully argue who was better between him and Van Morrison, but it's clearly so hard Van to Morrison. Compare, <laughs> I know, but it was just like, it, that was his favorite musician and Van Morrison is mine. And so, Oh, uh, just jokingly, we would kind of be like, uh, it, you know, the denim is a turnoff to me. With with boss, yeah, yeah. All, all that denim, all that denim is like I, 
Like, my wife likes to wear denim jackets, and I'm like, who the fuck are you? Bruce Springsteen? Like, get out of here. Get out of here with that denim on. Like, hey, Bruce Springsteen. I, I can, I can, probably because I never look good in a denim jacket is why yeah. I hate it. But, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, Dan, a question I got for you, brother, is um, Crashing is, like, one of my favorite shows. And as uh, comedians, a lot of comedians talk about this show. It's, you know, uh, a big f- uh, favorite amongst comedians. What was it like working on? I mean, obviously it's a very general question, but what was it like working on that show and just um, telling such an awesome story about stand-up comedy and like the trials and tribulations and everything like that that, are, that come with that? Well, you know, when you, when, I mean, I only worked on my little scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I didn't know what the big picture until I saw the episode, but mm-hmm. it just the actual working on it was just very specific to the little scenes that I did here and there, but um but one thing I can say that's interesting and probably a little different than how other directors work, but Judd Apatow, he's a big improv. Yeah. Like he, he doesn't do improv, but I'm saying on set, he likes doing yeah. improv. So, uh, he'd give you a script and he'd say, but don't pay too much attention to it. It's just a guideline. That's and awesome. he wasn't always there, but that philosophy filtered down. So if there was another director, he was the producer and sometimes director. So, but he set the uh, ambiance. So uh, basically all the directors kind of followed that that uh, model and so it was just like here's some lines and a basic direction and then you guys just kind of talk and follow this basic structure you know you have to get from here to here like okay we want you to for example pete comes up pete holmes he comes upstairs he just was on uh stage and you all make fun of him yeah and you know come up with your own shit and and then we'll do it a bunch of times we'll tape it a bunch of times um and, 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 take the best. and then sometimes they would shout from the back Judd or one of the other people that would shout out, try saying this, try saying yeah. this, you know, shout out suggestions. And then they would just edit it as they edited it. He was like a leaning on the talent of the comedians on the show and everything like that to kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. at least for those scenes that involve the comedian. Now, scenes that involve people that aren't comedians yeah. might have worked. But I was only in the scenes. It felt, it felt like that. Yeah, it felt like, like that. Like Lang, who was particularly good at. And those sorts of that that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, it felt like that a lot. You could tell, like uh, a lot of a lot of the scenes where, where the comedians are just like sitting around a table, shooting the shit, and uh, start making fun of each other. That felt like supernatural. It didn't feel like anything it was wasn't like in you the know. Script. Yeah, it was just okay. Now you make fun of Pete Holmes. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Might have been a couple lines that they suggested, but yeah. nobody paid attention to it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it was working. You know, that was that was cool. I mean, I'd never really done much TV other than just talk shows and. Like, you know, last comic standing in AGT and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I never really done that serious scripted, you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my favorite experience. And I learned a bit about the process. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you did learn a lot. And also working with Judd, I'm sure it was awesome as well with uh, how much, you know, influence he's had and how many great films and shows he's mm-hmm. been a part of and everything. Um, yeah, but, and like I said, even when he wasn't on set, his influence was on set. You know, yeah. Philosophy like the philosophy and the writing and the just general direction of the show and everything you say. Right. And the, and the notion that he just wants the comics to just kind of do their thing. And yeah, a lot of improv. That's really awesome, man. Like nice. to give them the the freedom and they're funny for a reason. They're on this. Well, show. there's a reason yeah. Judd is who he is yeah. for a reason too. Yeah. yeah he knows yeah. He knew he, how to learn. He, he learned that. that the best outcome would be doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it was. It's very, it's a, yeah, you gotta watch the show, brother. It's like very real, natural. You as a comedian, you know, us as comedians, uh, it feels like, like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like what we do every night, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like the ribbing, the, you know, talking shit and everything like that. It's very natural. It's very like uh, real and everything. 
doesn't feel forced or anything like that. Okay. Um, Dan, what type of, how did you notice like your career change, you know, um, once you uh, were on America's Got Talent and, you know, it got all that exposure and everything like that? Well, it was very helpful in terms of corporate work, not so much clubs. I mean, yeah. you know, I might draw a few extra people yeah. um, at a club day, but it gave me the, all of a sudden, like people that book, like, you know, for the company meeting at, at such and such corporation, all of a sudden they, I, that gave me more credibility. So I was able to get more of that kind of work, which was very helpful financially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I think that was the main benefit is, is, is corporate work, which is very lucrative. It's not always fulfilling artistically because you got to like be yeah, you gotta, very politically correct and very clean when you perform in a corporate yeah. environment. But uh, but it tend to pay well. I was gonna say you gotta pay the bills regardless, man. So it's like yeah. So so you know um, they're always very like uh, stressful because it's like okay, I I can't say this and I can't say that. You, yeah. know, you gotta be very, like down the middle. But but then you get the check and you know it's, it's just, You're like yeah, I'll say whatever the hell you want me to say for this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, seriously. Keep polluting rivers. Who gives a shit? Right? Let's do it. <laughs> um. That's great. So obviously, you probably got like recognized a little bit more on the street too. People are like, "I mean, guy, you're that like, guy." Not a ton. No. Yeah. You know, nowadays it's like there's so much out there. You know. Yeah, you yeah. A TV show, even if it's a primetime TV show, it doesn't mean what it would have meant in 1985. Yeah. When everybody was watching Star Search. Yeah. Channels, and so three channels. You know, now there's 80 million channels where people are watching YouTube stuff. They're watching. They're on. You know, they're on. Yeah, there's so much Facebook, media. Daddy, whatever. Then. Used to be if, if if you were uh you know at four I mean at, at on Thursday night at eight thirty or nine or whatever it was you were watching Cheers that's it mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. what, so you, you what, what was that process like for you though going through AGT because like I I went to was it last year I think or 2018 I went to the uh, trials or the auditions in San Antonio uh, not really hoping to like advance but I I wasn't doing nothing and I wanted to see what it was about so I went and I sat backstage and you know in the in the that big room in a, in a hotel while they went through all the auditions. Uh, and that was it for me, but you went much further than that. You actually got on the show. Um, what was that process like? Well, I think part of the reason is, is I was already known a little bit from having done some, you know, uh, last comic standing and some late night shows. So they already knew me a little bit. The producers knew who I was. I think that's pretty helpful. Yeah. And um, then I did the audition, you know, here in New York in front of like a bunch of English people. Why English people? I don't know. That's who's in the crowd, or that's who like the executives well, that, were. That was four producers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were just these English dudes. Yeah, uh, because I think the show is from England, right? Simon Cowell. Yeah, yeah, okay, right. And so it's all English people that are high. Not all, but it was like four English dudes. They were just like, oh, I just said, you know, just do that. And so I <laughs> did like three minutes in front of them, and they're like, oh, I've excellent one, you know. And then they call me and uh, you know to 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 go to the next round like however many weeks later that was. Mm -hmm. But I found the whole thing pretty stressful. You know, it's, it, comedians, I mean, I, in general, artists don't like to be judged in that way. And, mm -hmm. um, we'd rather just do our thing. And if you yeah. like us, great. If you don't, great. But rather than being told, rather than having a panel of judges say that they liked you and then people voting on you, it's not our favorite thing to do. But In front of four people, too. How did, like how did it feel when you snapped on Simon? Oh, well, that was more recently in the, in the, um, champions the thing. Champions. Right? They brought me back and said, Oh, you're one of the champions. I wasn't a champion, but I went and made it to the semifinals. So they said, Oh, we're going to invite back the best of the best of AGT to compete. Um, 
just to give some background to people who might not have seen it. So it was called the champions and Simon Cowell gave me the, uh, you know, the X there, you know, um, yeah, I mean, so so was your question, how did it feel? To, well, yeah, because, I mean, you you kind of, you, what did you tell him? Uh, you, I, when it comes I to comedy, he wouldn't know his... It wasn't anything brilliantly creative. I just said, you don't know your ass from your elbow when yeah. it comes to comedy. I said, maybe in music you know something. Which, by the way, I'm not even sure he knows that. But, you know, I had to give him the compliment in order for them not to... In order for the, for the insult... Not yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. You had to butter him up. <laughs> I had to butter him up, and then that, that way it was funny. Because otherwise it wouldn't have been funny... Or interesting. You're just like going in on them and shit. Like, hey, no one likes your fucking V-necks, dude. You know. know, um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it got a bigger laugh than I expected. I I didn't think it would. I just said to speak in my mind, and then everybody was laughing. Even Simon was like, "Oh, that was funny." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that. that, Yeah, that phrase has been said over and over. Yeah, that 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 was good. None of your original material. Stroke of creative genius. Maybe I delivered it well. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. People seem to always repeat that and say, "Oh, that was great." But you said to Simon, "I." It was a, okay if you say so. It was probably just like uh, <laughs> it was probably just uh, cathartic for people too. I'm sure. Well, you know, and that's you kind to... of why I ask because it's like not everybody gets the opportunity to uh, to say something to their critic, yeah. like directly to their face. Not everybody has that opportunity, real time to to respond, and especially to him. Most people just take what he says, they go in the back and they cry. Uh, and you were well, like, nah. You see, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have snapped on. And they don't keep it in. So if I did anything right. You know, if there's anything I did that you could qualify as as not certainly not genius, but at least well executed, was to to, to give him the compliment first and say that he's yeah yeah you know, yeah you're the you're the king. But then in comedy, you don't know shit. So yeah, because it was framed that way, they didn't cut it out; they kept it in. See, now you I guys imagine a lot of people do snap on it. They just cut it; out. they don't have to air it. They yeah, that's true. There you go. And now, and so everybody listening and watching. I hope you're taking notes. Dan is telling you how you can really sucker punch somebody verbally. All right. Like this, this, this isn't just for Simon Cow. Yeah, you if you're at work, nice, if yeah. you're at work and your boss is giving you some crap, tell him, hey, you know what? You yeah. showed up at work on time today. That was really good on you, but you suck at your job. Like yeah. you got to butter them up and yeah. then give and then the insult. Yeah. Like, like, hey, I no, like your I think sh- that's the best way to keep them from cutting it out, cutting it out on. I don't know how that would work with your boss at work. You probably wouldn't. Okay, with with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you you yeah. Oftentimes, you know, you got to give them say something nice before you say something not so nice, and it, you know, you'll be less likely to uh, suffer consequences. There you go. There you go. All right, it's uh, it's game time. If we are ready, game time. Dan, are you ready to play a game with us? I enjoy. Most games, some I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, He's hopefully, like, uh, hopefully you got that badminton racket in the mail. Like, Checkers, that's I've got really bad memories about I that do game, enjoy bro. Badminton. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> um, this week we are playing top five. All right, so I'm gonna give you a topic, Dan, and you'll give me your top five in that category. So I'll do one for you, one for Dan, or one for Chad, and then one for both of you to answer on. Okay? Okay. Yeah. All fine. right. So Dan, we're gonna go with you first. Uh, now, famously in your set, you talk about being an uncle. Uh, so I would like from you, your top five TV or movie uncles. Top five TV or, well, um, in no particular order. Like, I don't, no, know, no particular order. Five, but not necessarily. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's Uncle Buck. Okay. Uncle Buck. Oh, yeah. Movie, Definitely Uncle, Uncle Buck. Buck. And there was a TV show, but I, I never saw that. Um, there's Uncle Charlie from My Three Sons. Uh, okay. Okay. 
that's going back. You know, I used to see that in reruns. Um, TV or film uncles. Um, so I can't even think. In vacation, was Randy Quaid an uncle or a cousin? Uh. Well, I mean, I'm, he, he was somebody's uncle. He, he was, was a kid's uncle. Yeah, he was so, a kid's yeah. uncle. I mean, he went by Cousin Eddie, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, he was great, you know. Uh, so be, I had to put, I, yeah, I guess yeah. he was the uncle to to Rusty and. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the other, whatever her name was. Audrey, yeah, there you go. So him, uh, it's hard to get five. Huh? Yeah, five. Can I, let's can, do three. Can I throw one out there? Yeah, go ahead. Uncle Phil. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh from the Fresh Prince. From the Fresh okay. Prince. Okay. Yeah, definitely Uncle Phil. Yeah, I don't know if he'd be my top five. Well, maybe he would be because I'm having trouble with <laughs> <laughs> uh, Uncle Ned. Uncle Ned from The Family Ties, played by Tom Hanks. He was only in a couple of episodes. Okay. Tom Hanks, anything is top five. Yes, he played um, Uncle Ned. Uh, okay. So we have Buck. In like two episodes of Family Ties. <laughs> family ties and, uh, damn that's a callback right there yeah, yeah. family ties well i'm from the 80s yeah. i know you went deep in the bag with my three sons like i had to i had to because it's not there, there, nothing leaps to mind uh, you know yeah well uncle um, uncles i think I you gave us i'm sure there's others but yeah four. i guess i'll include uncle phil so there's my top five there so. you go boom all right that's your top five let me try see if i can remember uncle phil uncle ned uncle buck Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie. And the guy from My Three Sons. Yeah, Uncle Charlie. Uncle, Uncle Charlie. Charlie. There we go. All right, boom. That's that top five. That was pretty five. good, Dan. Uh, Chad. So Top five athletes from New York. Either played, uh, it, either played in New York or from New York. Well, I mean, obviously this is going to be generational. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't, I don't fucking remember it's like your Bernard five. King and shit. You know what I'm saying? Wait, <laughs> but, don't, but don't shit on Bernard King. Uh, doc, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I don't know him is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know him. Like, I know I know Pat. Like, I don't know him. Clyde Frazier or some shit. I don't, I don't remember those days. Okay. Well, uh, of course, I'm, I think I'm going to go number one is Derek Jeter. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Derek Jeter. Yeah. I'm talking about like New York. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Jeter. Okay. Uh, and then... Um, I don't know who they would say, but I'd say like probably uh, Peyton or I'm um, sorry, uh, Eli Manning, I guess. The mouth he won, breather. He won two Super Bowls. The mouth breather. You know yeah, got it. Um, and then uh, Stefan Marbury. Are you serious right <laughs> I'm now? I'm joking. Dog. Are you serious <laughs> right now? Or Grandma Ma's number Grandma, four? <laughs> uh, Larry Johnson, number four. And then I guess a distant fifth is Patrick Ewing. Wait, wait, wait. So. You put, I just want to, you put. Yeah. Stephon Marbury, Stephon Marbury before Patrick Ewing. Yeah, and you're being for real. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not being. I was for about real. To... but he's a, yeah. This is my top five. It bro. is your top five. Yes. I'm just making sure. So Starbury, Starbury, uh huh. Um, Larry Johnson. Uh-huh. Oh, you were serious about Grandma Larry Johnson? Ma. Dude, I love Grandma Ma. That was my one of my favorite players growing up. Okay. Yeah, he was like the original, you know, power forward that could stretch out to 15, 16 feet and hit a jumper and shit. Dude, and the original sign a big contract, get fat and, and, and suck. Got to do what you got to do, man. Okay, you fair enough. Um, yeah, there we go. Top five. All right, so that was Jeter, Eli, Starberry, Grandmama. And Patrick Ewing, I guess. And, and Venus Williams doppelganger. <laughs> yeah, dude, damn. I, I never thought about that, yeah. All right, fair enough. All right, and this one's for both of you guys. Uh, Dan, Chad. Mm-hmm. Top five places to people watch, like just in general, or like, like yeah, we're top five places to go. Oh, dude, the mall watch. is number one. Is the mall even a thing anymore? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it used to be, but there's still malls out there. Yeah, yeah. 
Nope. You just can't see facial expressions as much anymore, but you can see an argument between a you know a twenty three year old couple. Okay, that shit's funny. All right, Damal. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan, you can throw one in whenever. What? So how are we doing? We just take turns. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Just both of y'all I mean, collaborate on this. New York Central Park, but I guess yeah. you can expand that out to parks in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Park in New York. It's, but is Central Park like real? I've never been to New York. Is Central Park like a really good people? Like, is there stuff going on in that park, or is it just oh, like? Yeah. Is it? I mean, you know. Especially yeah. when it's nice weather, you know, you go to Sheep Meadow and there's like a ton of people there. Like, is it is it a walking park? Like, yeah, dude, it's yeah, huge. It's a walking park, bike park. They got they got boating. They got everything. Yeah, really. Yeah, like well, there's a skating rink. There's a zoo. Little uh, small boat races baseball. and shit. How big is Central dude, Park? It's fucking huge. Man. Is it? Yeah, it's huge. Like 800 acres, I think, yeah. something like that. Really? Yeah, it's fucking huge. I had no idea. I thought see. literally it was just like you know a couple of blocks around. <laughs> I had no uh, idea. It goes from like. Uh, it's like 40 blocks long. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really it's huge, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, shit. All right. Central Park. All right. I can definitely see some people watching there. The mall. Yeah. Um, you guys do airports? You people watching airports? Oh, yeah. Say airports. Yeah. Airports yeah. is awesome, dude. Because Air- people from all over the country, you have no idea. And it's, it's fun to sit there and like wonder what their story is. Yeah. You know? It's also sometimes you can tell like where the plane is going when you look at the, you know, when you look at uh, the, uh, the gate, you know, with the waiting. Yeah, area. that's so true. There'd be a bunch of people that look grungy with like wool caps. Oh, that's going to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> dude. I know. I do that shit with uh, when I'm coming to Austin. Like when I'm flying to Austin, back to Austin from like L.A. or wherever. Like I can always tell my gate by like uh, like the the smell of patchouli. Yeah, <laughs> no, the smell of like uh, homemade tamales and just like uh, fucking like torn T-shirts and like a guitar case that's when i know i'm like oh there's i don't even have to look that's the austin people okay and you see like older folks you know you're like oh he's going to uh, fort lauderdale yeah yeah this dude's definitely going down to orlando for the fucking summer he's got all the flops yeah yeah some crocs or some shit all right we got three two more places that Um, you guys people watch uh dude uh i don't know uh, like now because you can't fucking go anywhere out shit I'd say uh, grocery stores is like one of the best places yeah yeah and it's funny to like see like all these people I don't know just it's funny to also like see what people buy at the grocery store you know what I'm saying you're right. like oh that's why you're super overweight Jesus D- Dan you're in New York so <laughs> right, no greens right that, now I'm assuming that. the best place to people watch is probably your window right <laughs> yeah I guess so but there's, there's not many people I look out like on the back of buildings and there's no ro- there's no street so there's not Jesus. much watching go. I guess I could stare in the window. Yeah, why not? You know, I, if I had a telescope. Um, <laughs> don't act like you don't have a telescope. <laughs> I don't have a telescope. <laughs> He's going to get one. Um, we got one more. One more. Uh, um, I mean, and keep in line, like sort of related to the grocery store, like the gym. Yeah. You know, the, Do people. That's more of a place to people stare, especially like yeah. when you're working out. <laughs> no, I know that feeling. Yeah. Uh, like you that, start doing exercises you've never done before because you're trying to look at some butt. Oh, know? I ain't never done that. I I would Dude, go well, really? well because when I go to the gym, it's at like two in the morning uh, when nobody's in there. So when I'm people watching, I'm watching like the weirdos in there using the exercise machines weirdly. Yeah, like the wrong way. Yeah, like I saw this guy come in and uh, you know the uh, the with the thing you sit down with the triceps where you hold and you push it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This guy, like he came in. I swear he just came straight from prison to the gym yeah. and like he walked in and he like stood above it and he grabbed it with one arm and he just started going, huh, 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, he's working on his stabbing motion. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what exactly that he was just. Huh, yeah, he's huh, like, gotta huh, get this. Huh. And I was like, that's not how you use that machine. Yeah, but, you gotta get used to stabbing people. So I, there wasn't a lot of the people watching for me at the gym. <laughs> yeah. It was more like people wondering, like, is it about to go down? Yeah. Am I gonna be a casualty at two o'clock in the Planet Fitness? Yeah. It's always funny when you see like. Sometimes constru- I don't know how to use a piece of equipment, and I'll look at the dude. So I might have looked at this guy. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Oh, this is the stab machine. Ah, this, I was wondering what this was for well, years. Some of those equipments, like not, it's not necessarily uh, self-evident how you're supposed to use it. Yeah. Right. Like that's totally the machine OJ was I using, can't right? You, yeah. Oh, definitely, dude. That's how he got his. Game up, you yeah. know, before. Uh, I can't believe you never, like, followed, like, not follow, not like stalk bitches, but, it's, but I'm just saying, like, you've, like, seen, like, a hot girl at, a, at the gym, and you're just like, I mean, you know, I'm going to bust out a couple more sets over here. Not at two in the morning. There's a bunch of people watching Crunchyroll on their on their phone while they're working out. And, like, at two in the morning, you get, like, people wearing, like, full-on, like, combat boots. Yeah, dog. And, like, chains hanging off of their they pants. They just came from the club and shit. They're well, like, you know what? No, I'm gonna I don't work even out think they came from a club. I think that that's just how they dress. Like, you know, the yeah. new emo goth kids, and they're just walking on a treadmill looking at videos in, like, their normal boots and eating, clothes like eating licorice and shit they're like i don't me. know they're eating licorice but like yeah to, when i go to the <laughs> when i go to the to the to the gym there's not a lot of like interest there's not a lot of booty in there yeah, there's not yeah. a lot of like there's there's like this one bald guy that you could tell is a ceo of his company and he probably embezzles money yeah. um and then some weirdos and me and yeah. me constantly and like getting cramps on the ad machine <laughs> <laughs> not knowing how to work the stab machine not sure. yeah doing the stab machine wrong and stuff <laughs> that's, that's awesome. i keep trying to pull the bar up to my mouth it's weird so um dan a question i want to ask you brother just because you've been you know a comedian for so long and everything like that we just like you know uh we're interested in like the genesis of of you know when you became a comedian how you became a, com- a comedian why and all these things well the why part is because it looked like fun and the way to get attention and yeah. acclaim and um and uh something I'd always wanted to do, you know. And then so uh I just signed up for it wasn't really an open mic here in New York City. This was going back to the early nineties. I was signed up for a bringer show. We had to bring three people. Oh god, yeah. If you bring three people, then you get to go on stage. And so that that's how it's and I did a great job. You know, because everybody in the audience was either people I knew or people the other comedians knew. So they were all like very supportive. Yeah. They weren't there because they wanted to see a great show. They were there to support whoever they were there to support. So I I went on stage. I did it. I killed, you know. I thought, okay, here we go. You know, next stop is the you know, the tonight show. (laughs) I'm gonna have my special out Um, in no time. Yeah, what did I know? know? (laughs) But I figured everybody would say, Hey Dan, let's have you back this weekend, we'll pay. But it took, you know, a couple of years after that to even make twenty bucks as a, as an MC but um but that's how it started you know just just doing those sorts of shows where i had to bring people to the show uh, in order to get on stage mm-hmm. you know and um and then you know then slowly but surely i was able to get to the point where somebody would pay me a little bit of money you know 100 bucks for the weekend to mm-hmm. MC up in Poughkeepsie or whatever i think the first road gig i did was uh was in Poughkeepsie at um Comedy, uh, what was it called Ban- bananas or something like it? it was yeah, called yeah. bananas. I think. Yeah. Um, in Poughkeepsie, New York, and like I think I made ninety bucks for the entire weekend to MC the show. 
You're like, I'm balling, dude. Look at this. Not, I'm just killing 90 it. Bucks is not, not, I could use 90 bucks right now. I think they're still paying MCs the exact same amount. To not even. Not even. Shit. It's way less now. It's way yeah, less now. Yeah. So, like, just looking at your career and the evolution of comedy, um, like, I know when you, like, when you were coming up, like, it was a big deal to get on Letterman, uh, get on Conan, and you've got those credits. Uh, it, do you think it's still important though now for comedians to have what they call like the TV, a tight TV five, you know, a tight five for TV or, or do you think that that is not as essential anymore? I don't, I don't think it's as essential. I think it was becoming less essential even when I was doing it. You know, it's like I said now, like it used to be the tonight show, you'd get 20 million. I don't know how many million people, five, whatever yeah. it was watching the tonight show. Cause there was nothing else to watch. Now, of course, there's a million things to watch. And people are getting more traction off YouTube than they are off, you know, the last time I did one of these late night shows, I did Conan O'Brien on TBS. I like Conan and he's always very nice to me. And it's, I always feel like you're in show business, you know, like, oh, I'm on TV and it's still because I grew up with it. With, with those kinds of shows, it feels uh, it feels good to do them. But in terms of uh, career impact, I think you'd have a lot better luck on YouTube if you're video became viral you know yeah things have uh, changed man. This, this woman named uh robin shawl just did a video where she talked about she read her um list of goals for 2020 that she had written in 2019 and it was like all stuff like i want to be socialized more <laughs> yeah all stuff fuck like that the pandemic completely shut down <laughs> yeah yeah and it, you know i want to uh <clears throat> See, i just want to i just want to breathe time with my grandmother <laughs> who ended up dying so um oh, damn this went this this video went viral, and I, you know I probably did more for her career than had she done a, a Letterman or or a Letterman's not on the air anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, wow. viral video. Yeah, has now made her well known. She has a hundred thousand fans on Instagram, and I know that she just signed with a pretty well known manager, and we'll see what she gets from it. But this was a viral uh, video on Instagram. That's had nothing crazy. to do with the television. So that's so wild. That's where everything is going now. So so like. Anybody that's getting into the game now, if they're, if they're still like, is that mentality toxic to still be thinking like, I got to figure out a way to get onto TV or is it a waste of time? I don't know if it's toxic, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's, look, to, and tomorrow it could all change. But right now it seems to me, you know, you can do it on YouTube. Uh, you, you know, you can do Instagram. These are the places that people are becoming well-known. You know, um, I mean, the, the, I think the first guy to pull it off was, Years ago was um, was uh, Dane Cook. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, he was sort of the um, the first guy to do it. You know, he became famous from MySpace, basically. Yeah, and began selling out theaters, and ultimately had a film and film career with that. Yeah, he completely changed like everything of how comedians are discovered, and and also just like like hustling yourself you know what i mean like being your own agent in a way you know what i'm saying like like this uh this friend of yours that you just talked about how she you know shot a video she probably shot it on her phone at her own house you know what i mean and yeah. became huge yeah. rather than having to go I out i don't even think she meant it to become that big it was just yeah. like an instagram post. yeah yeah on instagram today yeah you never know i didn't even realize oprah ended up i think retweeting i mean it became like ridiculous you know yeah and she never would have predicted that you know, I mean, another friend I know does 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 uh, videos on Instagram. He does uh, mm -hmm. impressions, you know, and he's got a, almost a million Instagram followers. Damn. You know. 
That's crazy. Eight hundred thousand. So, so I think more important now. Yeah. So, like with that being said, is it? Are we at a point now where, uh, it, like if 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 that's not as important, is it as important to have a manager or an agent to to get these yeah, bookings now? If, if you can do it and get signed to a deal off of an Instagram post, do you need? Do people still need to be looking for agents and managers? Well, I think I think people, even people that are stars, have agents and managers because. It's just you want somebody to negotiate for you. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, when a call comes in and somebody says to me, what do you charge? I don't want to answer that question because I don't mm. want to be the asshole. Yeah, I'm yeah. the artist. I want to show up and be Mr. Fun. Right. I don't want to negotiate. Be talking about money also, and shit. I'm not good at negotiating. I'll end up giving myself away for less. So I have a guy <laughs> that knows, you know, a little bit uh, about that. So, and... um you know, I think, and just to answer the, depending on how big you get, you just want a guy that's handling the nuts and bolts. Yeah. All right. No, that's you know, fair. And, and also look for, for a move. I mean, yeah, like the things that I've gotten like crashing, I wasn't in it. They called my agent. Oh, wow. but it wasn't because my agent did anything. They just, Judd Apatow knows me from the comedy seller uh-huh. and said, Oh, we'd like to use Dan. Uh, and he told his people contact Dan's agent. They looked it up, I guess. I don't know how they found out my agent, yeah. but they called it up. And the agent called me, but you know, That's um, awesome. so that the agent didn't actually do any work really, but they were there to answer the phone. I don't know what <laughs> value that has. He's like, yeah, you, you know, know. 15%. That's yeah, the value it has. 15%. You know, yeah. The, I mean, in that case, yes. He's However, like, there might've been the next week an audition came in that I didn't know about. And they would call me up because now they're now, because I gave them a little bit of money from crashing. Yeah. Now they're a little bit more in my corner. Yeah. This didn't happen, by the way, but theoretically. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or in my corner now, and the next next time something comes in, oh, Dan would be good for this part. Let's pitch Dan. And, yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, and then so, you know, then then you get some. So I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I don't think the agents and managers are obsolete by any means. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, but, and again, like if you're really big, you can't answer all those phone calls and deal with all those people. You got to have some so somebody you- at least. And so you know, do you have uh, different uh, people to handle like your TV stuff and then also like your touring and your uh, stand up and club work and shit like that? Well, I have an agent for TV. Like I said, they, you know, they, they were there to pick up the phone when judge people called. Mm-hmm. And I have a, my manager who, who, who does, you know, gets me bookings and things. And I do a lot of on my own, you know, too. Oh, wow. That's how it comes in. You know, is it I from mean, like establishing relationships with the uh, club owners or the people that run the clubs? Is that what it yeah, is? I mean, that's a lot of it. Yeah. Sure, yeah. You know? um, but the clubs in New York city, I have my own relationship. Yeah. I've yeah. Been doing it for so long. So the comedy seller is just something I do it. I handle it myself. Mm-hmm. I just, now of course it hasn't been open almost a year now, but mm-hmm. I would call uh, every week and say, I'm available to perform, you know, whatever days I was available to perform. And then they get back to me and say, all right, Friday at nine 30. That's awesome. And, Ten o'clock Saturday at eleven thirty, whatever it was, and I just handle that myself. Yeah, you know, but um, but of course, again, that that hasn't been a thing for almost a year now. We'll see. I don't know when. I don't know when that's going to start. And so, um, Dan, just a personal question for you, brother. Uh, you're in New York. You're obviously, you know, comedy is is a, is a thing that you've been doing for your entire life, pretty much. And um, half of it, half of it. Yeah. yeah. And so, what's it like for you, man? To uh, to kind of be uh, not have that avenue anymore. How are you filling that void? What are you doing? And and well, well I've done so that. much comedy over the. I don't crave comedy the way a lot of comics do. I've done it for a long time. I don't. 
crave that. I, 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 uh, I'm fine. Like I said, I wrote that book and, um, you know, I do podcasts. I do my own podcast. In addition to being a guest on what, what is that? What's your podcast, podcast brother? Uh, Live from the table. It's, it's with Noam Dorman, the owner of the comedy cellar. It's, it's basically, I mean, we used to do it at the comedy cellar. Yeah. And so we do it by zoom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about comedy. We talk about also just what, what's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, so I have other outlets creative wise, you know, that are fulfilling. What, what I do miss is personal interaction more than anything else. It's yeah. Seeing people live in print. Over the summer, you go outside, you meet in the park. It was cool. Now we're, it's winter. It's cold as hell. Austin, I guess, is warm, right? So yeah, ish. You yeah. Hang out outside, but I mean, it's 30 degrees out there. No, ain't nobody hanging out in the park. Yeah. Right. <laughs> unless, right. unless you're like trying to score some heroin and or the, some shit. The restaurants and the bars are closed <laughs> and the comedy club are closed. So it's like, yeah, that's the, the social aspect is what's most difficult. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. So the, and meeting up with, like, that's one thing I missed a lot was like meeting up with comics, hanging out with comics. Cause, uh, I mean, that's how I got, that's how I get a lot of my materials, hanging out with you, hanging out with other friends that are comedians and we're just like shooting the shit, you know, talking jive and everything. And when we talk and jive, yeah, say talk and jive. Okay. Word. Um, and so, uh, (laughs) is that all right? And, um, so, but like you and I like hanging out and talking shit and, and coming up with, with funny bits or whatever, or us like going over shit together, you know what I'm saying? Mm Um, that's what I missed the most, like during the pandemic when everything was shut down. Now, in Austin and in Texas, we're not, you know, as the Gestapo isn't as strong here as it is in other parts of the country. Nah, guess, the so. redneck is strong here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we're able to get out, but like for you know nine months, man, we weren't, we didn't do shit. We couldn't do any clubs, and so any uh, shows or what's what uh, whatsoever. And so that's what I missed a lot was hanging out with with other comedians and shit, which was difficult. Dan, you came up in New York in a time when there was like a lot of heavy hitters coming through there, right? Yeah. There um, always is. I mean, yeah. There's always, yeah, like, yeah. like who in particular? Oh, like, like, see, you were, when did you start doing comedy? Like in well, the early 90s? In the early 90s. So I, a little bit after, I, Chappelle is younger than me, but I think he, st- he started when he was like 15. Yeah, so right. 14 or 15. He was already kind of making a little bit of noise. David Tell was already kind of making noise when I started. Uh, Ray Romano was already several years in. John Stewart was already several years in. I started roughly at the same time as Zach Galifianakis. Okay, he is a guy that I started not on the exact same day, but very very close right. time with him. Yeah. Uh, Nick Swartzen started roughly around that time. Um, Bill Burr was he around that time in New York? Bill Burr was probably well, he was maybe Boston, a right? Year in nah, at the time, he moved to New York. Louis was already several years in. Louis, but yeah. So the person I probably the most famous person that I started like right at the same time as was Zach. Yeah. So we talk about like Jeb was just talking about hanging out with comics uh, and and getting that energy and and stuff. Uh, when you got guys like that around, yeah. like what was the energy that that especially for a young comedian? Uh, like yourself at that time, what type of energy was in the air when you were hitting these clubs and hanging out with, you know, or running in crowds adjacent to these people? Well, I say at the time, you know, these people weren't like Zach wasn't a star. So, it was right. Like, yeah. He had no idea. Person, you know? and, um, but it was exciting. For, I think it's always exciting when you're a new con. I mean, I miss those days because none of us were making any money at all, but we all had uh, dreams, you know, yeah. and, and everything was exciting to see David tell you know, who wasn't 
particularly well known then. He and and never became like a list well known. You know, he was like um, more a cult favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was so exciting for us to see somebody like that. Anybody that had been on TV, well, oh my God, I can't believe. Oh, I just met so and so. Sat at the same table as this person. You know, who had just been on the Tonight Show or whatever. Um, I think when you're new, this it's something special, you know, to, to be new in this business when all the possibilities are still open to yeah. you. The, the dreams are, and you know, you and all your friends are, have uh, ambition and dreams, and and you're all convinced that you're going to be, you know, super big, and, yeah. and everything is new, and um, you know, it was really interesting. It was a cool, cool time. I, but I think it's a cool time for any new. I don't think if you start talking to somebody that started comedy last year, I think it would be similar. Because there's always stuff happening. There's yeah, always, different you know, challenges and different. Um, there's a different zeitgeist of it, you know, going on and everything, which is interesting. And um, now, so I want to ask you about that. Actually, that leads into my next question: is just like, um, um, generally, like how you've seen like comedy and audiences change. I mean, obviously, there's different challenges every decade, every you know, few years. You know, there's we we experienced like cancel culture big time in the last few years and everything like that. And just how you nobody's canceling Dan. <laughs> nah, Nobody nah, nah. Dan's pretty safe. Well, Nobody's... I avoid, you know, I'm not trying to get canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but... they cancel me, I mean they're gonna have to I mean, maybe they can figure out how to do it. Um <laughs> and maybe I'll say something that today uh, you know, is okay, but then a year from now they'll find it. Yeah, and they're like, Oh, this asshole. Oh, so he's watching people at the airport. He's oh, one of those okay. airport yeah. watchers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just judging him. Yeah. You know. Even though I, I was just saying I'm looking at them, but maybe that'll be too much. And yeah. I don't know, but, but, um, you know, anyway, so yeah, so audiences, I don't know. They, I mean, but there's always been like stuff that you couldn't say. It's just, mm -hmm. the only difference is, is, well, social media has made it so that the stuff that you couldn't say used to say it and the audience would groan and that would be the end yeah. of it. And now it goes on Twitter. And, Everybody knows about and, it. You know, and then it, it can become a, a big deal. So, um, but the audiences themselves, I don't think I've noticed a huge change, you know. Yeah, sometimes they'll groan. They won't tolerate it. But that was the case 20 years ago, you know. You don't feel like. Now it goes on Twitter and or whatever, you know, and um, you can get canceled. So. You know, I don't I don't really believe that the audiences have changed that much, to be honest. I mean, like uh, people like especially here in Austin they say, well, you can't say stuff like that in Austin. You can't say this. You can't say I think that as long as you're being authentic yeah, and you're funny that you can say whatever, whatever is in your heart to say, it's the people that are going out there trying to yeah, yeah, push the, they're people. trying to push the envelope. Yeah. You're going to, you, you're probably going to turn people off, but if you're going out there and you're, you know, speaking from the heart and speaking with some authenticity and being genuine, I don't think that there's anything you can't say, you know, even if, even if you're in the most conservative or liberal of, of crowds. You think? I think there are things that you cannot say, um, even if you're being, well, you know, heartfelt and honest. But yeah, you can't talk about killing babies. Been the case. I think that's always been the case. I don't think that's any different than it was 20 years ago. Right, right. I don't think that that that's what I'm saying right there. Like, there's no, there's no, it's no more harsh today than it was 20 years ago. As far as the kind of like the things that were crossing the line 20 years ago is probably still crossing the line. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's, but I think. A lot of comics get it in their head. They have to tiptoe. Crossing the line today, that would, like you could have made fun of transsexuals with abandon twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And and it would have been and and of course Eddie Murphy went on stage and talked about faggots literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, using that word and back in the good old days, be able to do that. <laughs> but there were things back then that you couldn't do. There's always something you can't do. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so you true. Just, what you can't do is different now. Mm-hmm. That's very true. You, you couldn't have said the N word back then as a white guy, and you can't say it now. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, they try in Austin. No. <laughs> oh, they try. Carlin actually did say it. He said it in a way where he was analyzing the word yeah. in an intellectual way. I'm not even sure, but even that probably now. Yeah. Do. Uh, but but anyway, there, there's always been 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 lines that you know you can't overstep. You pick up anything new in in the pandemic, like anything that you weren't into before that you know that now you've got an interest in. Question. That's an interesting question. Actually, the answer is probably no, but it is an interesting question. I'm sure that some <laughs> people have. He's like, no, nah, I'm just kind of um, doing the same shit. You probably have people have taken up hobbies. I would imagine people, you know, have learned instruments or done this or that. I I haven't. Maybe I uh, missed an opportunity. I think you missed an opportunity. You could have totally got into some fetish stuff. I could have. <laughs> ma- I could have mastered Mandarin Chinese by. Yeah. Oh, lava. We could all be much better yeah. versions of ourselves. Instead, we're just like fatter versions of ourselves. At least me. You know. I'm. I'm, I'm sexier I just than ever. Intermittent <laughs> fasting. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, we used to uh, call that cocaine binges back in the day. Helpful, <laughs> I do like the eight hours uh, of eating, and then the red the sixteen hours of not eating. Yeah. I don't know if that works. Yeah, I used to do that a lot back in my Coke days. <laughs> so you go sixteen hours just partying and well, you probably go twenty four hours. Yeah, maybe. Jesus. You never know. <laughs> can you tell what can you tell us about the book? Uh so it's a novel that you're writing. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I don't want to give away too many details, but um because there are some a couple of surprise Yeah. But it's it's it it, ha- it happens to be, as is often the case with the first novel, there's some autobiographical elements in it. Mm-hmm. It's based on a, uh, the main character is a, is, a, is a comic, not exactly me, but he's a comic that has fear of success, that he has achieved a certain level of success, and it is causing him neuroses and anxieties, and he sabotages his career, and then he has, he goes back into his life and sort of analyzes the reasons why, uh, why he is afraid of success, and we learn about his background, and, and why he's, he's afraid of both success and commitment to women and he goes back into his life and we learn about why and it sounds that's like, roughly what it's about it sounds uh, like my biography it's, look, it's not a thriller it's uh it's trying to be literary i don't know that it's the most commercial idea in the world but what was yeah. what was that process like because i mean coming from a comedian that you know you're used to writing jokes and stuff how how is writing a book difference different uh how's that process different well, you're writing, I mean, it's a much wider canvas and so you got to worry, a joke, you just have to worry about the joke. You don't have to worry too much about it. This joke contradicts that joke. Yeah. But I got to worry about, oh, this is everything fits together over 250, 300 pages that the characters behave in ways that are consistent that if you say something on page 30, if he says, I don't like ice cream on page 30, he can't say, I love ice cream on page Yeah, 100. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was a challenge, that's for sure. And, and it was, it was, I found it difficult. I mean, I know, I mean, the writers, they come out with a book every year, but you know, for me, this was a pretty arduous process. Maybe if I write another one, it'll be easier. Are there commuti- I outlined it in my head roughly, not word for word, not scene by scene, but roughly I knew where I was going. And are there like comedic elements to the book? Is it, a, is it, oh, yeah, would there's you? Out, there's, well, the main character is a comedian as okay. well as a, an Oscar winning screenwriter. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, 
and that's when he that and then he then he kind of sabotages himself after that. But there are scenes of him on stage. There there are scenes with him in a writer's room working on a sitcom. So mm-hmm. you get you know. So there's get, jokes uh, and stuff in the book. Showbiz in inside stuff. Yeah. And so, so before before you actually put pen to paper, though, how much of the story did you already have outlined in your in your mind before you actually even started all writing? The beginning, middle, and I knew the character where he was. All the stuff I just described to you, yeah. I knew. You know, the character, all the characters, what what the journey was going to be, where he started, where he was in the middle, and where he was at the end. And it was sort of a yeah, it was a you know a loose outline, and then I filled it in. You know, which I'm not sure every writer works that way. I think some writers have every scene mapped out, every chapter mapped out. I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, I had it just to kind of loosely. And then when I finished a chapter, I would say to myself, well, what should the next chapter be? And then I would write that, yeah. knowing where I needed to go. That, that kind of sounds like the way that us as comedians kind of outline things. We, you know, we have a beginning, middle and end that we know. And then we work out what the middle parts and how we get to each part yeah, you know through you know through going on stage and working it out and we'll fill in we'll fill in the rest of the body of that skeleton but we have those three you know I know this is kind of where I'm going uh did you did you like talk oh, yeah. with go ahead no no you're about to ask oh uh, did you like talk with other people that have like other writers or other authors uh to get tidbits on like the writing process no, and maybe I should have, you know, but uh, I'm not really. I just wrote it as as I felt it was my natural way that I would want to write it. Um, I did talk to other people about the char- some of the characters were, um, you know, um, people that I didn't have familiarity with. So I had to call a friend and say, oh, I know that, you know, you lived with an alcoholic. I mean, it was one of the characters an alcoholic. And yeah. what's that like? Yeah, yeah. I didn't have personal experience with it, so I had to do that. So, um, or, I, you know, I actually was never in a writer's room on a sitcom. Um, so, because I never was on staff at a yeah. sitcom, even though I've written spec scripts. So I, I had to ask what that was like, you know, to find this, so to make it more real. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, I talked to people about that. Now, as far as the writing process itself... No, I just kind of winged it. So uh, I don't know. You know, I, and how have I think, you? En- I think considering, I think it turned out okay. But how have you see. enjoyed uh, writing this book and everything like that? This is a, this is the first book that you've written, and yeah, it's my and first so one. I, I didn't. I I enjoyed uh, when I wrote something I thought was good, and I like ah, step back. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I wrote a good chapter. Yeah, yeah. The actual writing was. Pay- I mean, to me, the analogy would be like going to the gym. I mean, at least for me. I don't like going to the gym. But I like when I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, well, I you think I burned some calories and maybe built some muscle. I look in the mirror. Probably doesn't look any different, but in my head, <laughs> yeah, I you're like, better, you know, I look great. And I go to the steam room and yeah. I enjoy the, that process. Yeah. I'd you know, imagine. I'm feeling the, 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 the soreness, but feeling good about it because I did some. Yeah. I, I imagine that writing a, a novel exercises a different part of your brain than what you are typically using. Uh, as a comedian so like going back to like writing jokes and stuff do you feel like you might have a different approach to your writing methods uh, uh, as a comedian the only thing i would say about that is is that you know a lot of novels novelists uh try to be fun have write novels that try to be funny um and i don't think most of them succeed overwhelmingly at it Uh, but i have experience in that area so when i i use that experience to write the 
the the the humorous parts of the novel you know in, in in an analogous way when i write a joke you know the same i mean i even went on stage and tried some stuff out that's in the book the that's awesome yeah just to make sure it was funny yeah 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 you know so i was able to do that a lot of it's trial and error you know yeah there's no exact science to it sometimes you just have to try it maybe it's funny maybe it isn't yeah um, um sorry other than that i i think again i kind of used my own technique in terms of Having a loose outline and filling it in. And, yeah. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what the finished product, you know, the few people that have read it seem to like it, but, you know, they're my friends. So I don't know. Maybe they're being. Okay. So, so when are you dropping the sequel? <laughs> well, I don't know that it is, it is amenable to a sequel, but I, 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 I thought, <laughs> and a publisher said, we'll give you a big advance for a sequel. I might write a sequel, but yeah, my inclination is, is that it's done. The story is done. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, I don't see a sequel in it, but do you feel like this woke something up inside of you though? Like, is this something like a, like a, another part, another path in your yeah, career that you think you're doing? Well, I know that I was able to do it, which gives me confidence that I could do it again. Yeah. So I probably will do but depending on you're like, inspired. Look, if everybody thinks this stinks and I might get so discouraged, but, or I might get, or I might say, Oh shit, fuck them. I'm going to do it. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So do but you I probably will write something else? If that's this, awesome. Yeah, another novel do you want us to make a call to Oprah for you and get you on that book club? <laughs> I have her number. That's that's fine. Yeah. I I'll, mean, I can know. I can send out the O signal. I don't think that this is uh, a Oprah's book club type book. <laughs> but uh, but be be my guest and 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 make that call. You never know. All, right, all you have to do is just add in one strong female black character that tells the that tells your uh, your hero. No. Yeah. And then she's in. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I I don't have that. I have a strong uh Indian, East Indian female. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. And a black male. <laughs> so I don't know that uh, You can get Stedman. No nobody cares about black men. You got to have a woman, you got to have a you got to have a Beyoncé out there that they can all champion. Well, you're probably right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I will consider changing the Indian to a, a black person. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and Dan, uh, get ready to wrap up here, brother. Uh, just a question I have for you as a fellow comedian. Uh, it might seem like a little cheesy, but um, I think we, a lot of us comedians, you know, have different reasons for why we became comedians or why we want to be, you know, uh, in front of people every night and everything like that. I just want to know, like, what it is that motivates you to, because uh, I mean, you've been doing it since the 90s, you know, a long, what long time. To motivate yeah, what continues to to motivate you after all these years to, con- I mean, cause have you seen it all? I'm sure you've, you've come up in one of the biggest scenes, you know, in the world in terms of comedy, some of the most talented people you've worked with and, and you yourself being extremely talented. Yeah. What, what keeps you going every night? Well, one of the things is I can't do anything. Else. I, don't <laughs> yeah. what I, do. I, I don't know how to uh, compute a program. Um, I true. Well, you try to keep it. Look, you try to, um, you know, push yourself artistically yeah. and you try to be the, you know, I mean, our, mm-hmm. our currency, we all want to make money. Of course you need money to live, Yeah. but our currency is funny. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, we'd rather be middle-class and hysterical than, than rich and cheesy. Hacks, yeah. Yeah. Right? Hacks. Yeah. We all agree on yep, that. Definitely. So, so, um, just trying to be, just trying to out as best I can out funny everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. If, you know, if I go to the comedy cellar and a famous person comes in and everybody, they're going crazy, you know, because so-and-so came in and 
Oh, I can't be that famous and I can't be that rich. I can try as best I can to be that funny. Yeah. And yeah. make sure that I that nobody leaves the comedy cellar saying to themselves, Oh, now I get it why the famous guy is famous and the other guy yeah. is not famous. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want them to see a distinction between us. Mm -hmm. So that's I mean that's I guess I'm motivated by by that competitive spirit. That's all yeah. Trying to, that's understandable. Trying to be as Trying to be the best, I, I mean, you're like, you're I want, I, you, like I can throw I'm my name in, to, in the ring with those guys. That's what you're you're yeah, saying. You yeah. know, trying to, um, trying to get that new joke that I think is great that works. You know, the very fulfilling when that happens. Yeah. And you know, so um, I mean, unlike other fields of endeavor, you know, we can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that a lawyer necessarily is saying I'm going to be. Oh, well, did you see that lawyer? Mm -hmm. Did you see the argument that he made? I can make a good. I don't think they're thinking like that. I right. Think just, or a finance person is just probably thinking, how much money can I make? Rather than, oh, did you see that guy, the, the, the stock trade he made? I, I want to be able to be that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how they think because I don't hang around them. But Or it's not it's not many professions that I think that you can get better, you know. Continue. Yeah, yeah. And 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 hit your stride even in your 40s and 50s and stuff. I mean, I mean. I'm a huge George Carlin fan, and I thought his last special, his last two specials were just as good as Jamming in New York or anything in the well, 90s. I, I and think that comedians, the best ones are in their late 40s, early 50s. I mean, if you look at the who you regard as the best comedians that are, you know, Chappelle's almost 50. Bill Burr, yeah. Early 50s. Yeah. Burr's early 50s. He's older than I am. He's early 50s. Um, almost down the line. Attell's 55. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I keep mentioning Attell. I don't know if you guys are fans or not. No, I, lo yeah. I love Attell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, um, yeah, I mean, Colin Quinn's still doing stuff at, Colin at Quinn, 60 yeah. years old. It's doing one-man shows, just wrote a book. It's got some pretty good acclaim. So I think you're right. I think you can keep going. Maybe at 80, you'll finally... Yeah, eventually, you're something. not relatable anymore at 80. You're like, hey, what's yeah, up with these fucking to, diapers? Yeah, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be but, in Scranton. Um, musicians seem to hit their stride much younger. <clears throat> That's very we true. We hit our strides much older. in our 40s and 50s, and, and, yeah. and we don't seem to lose it uh, as we get into even our 60s. There's a lot of comedians I've, that, yeah, that don't really experience you know, extreme wealth or extreme success fame. Or was, like uh, Donna Rawlings is one of those people. Donna Rawlings is one of my favorite comedians. And I've heard him say in uh, interviews and stuff that this was going to, 2020 was going to be his busiest year. I'm not sure how old he is, but I mean, obviously he's not getting younger, but this is like, was going to be his biggest year of mm -hmm. his entire career. And in my opinion, he's just getting funnier and funnier. As, as Leslie like, Jones, I think is 50. Yeah. Yeah. She's 50. I didn't know recently that she became who she became. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one thing about comedy I think that gets lost in the shuffle. Uh and people trying to, you know, everybody wants to make their mark or whatever, but I think a lot of people forget that the the most famous or popular comedians of all times weren't famous or popular in their 20s. Yeah. Or their 30s. And that's just historically been the fact that it's not until they're, you know, later in life that they get on the national scene. And a lot of people get discouraged early in the game. They're 25 going, oh, man, I'm still doing open mics. And it's like, yeah, well, you're not going to. Yeah, you're going to you be know. doing it for another 10 years. And, but it's like with the Internet, with uh, YouTube and Instagram, people yeah. are finding yeah. success early. But I don't think that that success is, is sustainable. sustainable. Yeah, yeah. You I know? totally agree. Uh, but, it, but the people that you all ju that you just mentioned and people that we can think of historically that have, uh, you know, undertook this this task of trying to, you know, be a comedian. It wasn't until they were 
in their late 30s, 40s, going into 50s that they really got national acclaim. And I think that's just something to keep in perspective that a lot of people lose sight of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the exception, there are exceptions. Yes. Uh, Eddie Murphy was an exception. Very true. You know, but yeah, generally that's how it it works. Yeah. Hey, Dan, um, you think we're going to meet aliens in 2021? I don't think so, but, uh, you know, (laughs) I mean, we would have to in order to kind of outdo 2020. Yeah, we we can only go like crazier. What, you I don't any- think we're going to meet aliens. Uh, I, I'm not even sure there are aliens out there. And if there are, I don't think we're ever going to meet them. If you want my honest opinion. That's, about aliens, yeah. You know, do you have, do you have any predictions for 2021? I mean, after everything we've gone through in 2020, um, I, I would say there's only one way to go. I think it'll be better. I mean, we got vaccines. <laughs> we, we know the science, you know, a little bit more about, how this thing i think in 2021 if the vaccines don't work people are just gonna be like all right well they don't work we're just gonna have to no. we're gonna, i mean it's gonna thin the herd it seems like they're gonna work but if they don't work i think people are gonna say but we can't do we this can't do this shit anymore stuff. yeah well they gotta give people money or something because you can't expect everyone to just stay home they're just like hey everybody just stay home and you know become destitute and poor and you know eat nothing you know they're like well dude you gotta give us money or something you can't close our our fucking job and then tell us to stay home while our rent's still doing shit and I don't know if you know this, but you can only get COVID when you're having fun. You can't get it when you're working or anything like that. It's only when you're out like partying and shit. When you're out, when you're like at a grocery store, it, it you're exempt. I don't know if you know that. Just a little food for thought there, Dan. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. It does not exist in the so business don't have sector. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know how. You know. I mean, most people that get it that I know don't know how they got it. Yeah. Um. I mean, they have some ideas. You know, they have some uh, suspicions, but. Um, whether it be maybe on the subway, maybe talking to a friend. Yeah. I seem to think it's mostly from talking to people at close range. Yeah, yeah. Period. Yeah, it's not like AIDS. Like when you get, if you caught HIV, you're like, oh, that bitch. Like you have a pretty good idea <laughs> who gave you HIV. <laughs> but I shouldn't have been hanging out with Magic Johnson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, Dan. So I think one way or another, 2021. It's got to get better. Out of, we're coming out of quarantine. One, you, yeah, one way or the other. <laughs> we breaking out of the limits now. I think you're right, Dan. I think that's a hilarious point, too, man. One way or the other, this shit's going to be over with. Yeah, with enough is enough. One way no one's going to have a grandma or a grandpa, but one way or the other, we're fucking, we're, we're going places next year. We're going, you know, vacationing. We're going to concerts one way or the other. Hey, Dan, thank you so yeah, much yeah. for joining us yeah. here on can the gray you, area, man. Can, we appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, Can you tell us uh, how everyone can find you online? And, uh, and They can find me on social media at Dan Natterman on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just at D-A-N-N-A-T-U-R-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, fine. I'm easy to find. Yeah, Dan's obviously a really funny guy. You we should re- be able to find me at the Comedy Cellar, but that's over. Yeah, yeah. Well, when that does open up in 2021, come hell or high water, Go down there and check out Dan. He's a super You'll funny see comedian. Me there and, and wherever else you see me, really, yeah, uh, talking with you guys. Yeah, Dan, absolutely. I'm awesome. looking forward to you know maybe one day when when we break out of this quarantine, making it up to New York and meet you in person, brother. I really yeah, enjoyed like, this convo. Time you can to New York. I mean, uh, you know, you've never been your whole life, so. Yeah, my brother lives up there. I get up there every once in a while. Man, I yeah. heard tickets are like sixty-five bucks round trip. Dude, right I just now. I flew my brother down here for like forty bucks. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about just like kidnapping Direct my son and, and going. There you go. Well, you said you've never been, right? I've never been. Yeah. yeah, so it's time. The city's yours, man. You can literally, there's no lines for anything. <laughs> you can literally do whatever the fuck I you want. Anyway. You can go to Central Park. I just, I can go to Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big. 
dig. Yeah. <laughs> they might they might arrest your ass, but you know you can at least look at it. Hey, but we do appreciate yeah, thanks, you, Dan. Dan. Thank you so much. Look forward to uh, doing work work nice. with you. Yeah, take it easy, Dan. We appreciate it, and we appreciate everybody listening to uh, me and uh, Aaron Cheatham here on the Gray Area Podcast, brought to you by Hot Pie Media. We are filming and recording right here in the in downtown Austin on the shores of the Colorado River. Beautiful, beautiful uh, studio. I want to give a shout out, a special shout out to Hot Pie Media for putting all this together, producing. Shout out to Dan for jumping on the yeah, show. Yeah, Dan, thanks uh, big uh, time for being on the show. Chad, you want to tell them where they can find us on the socials? Uh, you can find us um, a podcast, The Gray Area on um, Instagram. On. Wait, let me, let me play some smooth Kenny G in the background while you do it. Okay. All right, start again. Yo, you can find us. On Instagram, podcast the gray area. Find us on Twitter. I don't know what our our, our handle is on Twitter. What the fuck is our Twitter handle? It is gray area <laughs> podcast. Uh, and then hotpiemedia.com backslash gray area the gray area podcast. Um, for our guest Dan, our our producers here at Hot Pie, Aaron Cheatham. Uh, Yo, good to see you brother as always. always a pleasure thank you guys again for tuning in and until next time be kind to each other here's mud in your eyes we'll catch you on the flip Peace. thanks for listening you can find more episodes and all other hot pie media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com the hot pie media youtube channel or wherever you listen to podcasts